0: Good morning students, in today's podcast part, we are going to discuss about a very important movement led by Gandhiji that was non-cooperation movement. After the Satyagraha movement, Mahatma Gandhiji wanted to bring Hindus and Muslims together under one roof to carry out the movement and the next movement which he started that was the non-cooperation movement. Now, question arises here, why non-cooperation? Mahatma Gandhiji written one book called Hind Swaraj. In that book Gandhiji mentioned that Britishers came from outside they settled down in India. They ruled over the Indians. It is just because the Indians cooperated with the Britishers. If you refuse to cooperate with the Britishers, Britishers will no longer survive in India. So, Gandhiji started non-cooperation movement. Non-cooperation doesn't mean only refusal of or a boycotting of foreign goods or the Manchester clothes. Non-cooperation means total refusal. Indians will will not support in any manner to the Britishers. Brit- Indians will not work into the factories, industries, administrations of the Britishers. Even the students, teachers, those, those, those who are connected to the British education system, they will leave it. So by the words of non-cooperation movement, all the students, teachers, professors, universities, students, those who are studying into the British schools, colleges and universities, they left their, their educations into the, from the British as a part of non-cooperation movement. The doctors, lawyers or the clerks, those who are working under the British administration, they left their jobs and they joined to this non-cooperation movement. Factory workers, dock workers, industrial workers, those who are working into the British factories and all, they left it. Mahatma Gandhi Ji told to wear the khadi instead of the foreign or the Manchester clothes. How non-cooperation movement was a most powerful and important moment. It shows that the sale of the foreign clothes of the Britishers has went down from one zero two crore to the fifty seven crore in one. year. year. Though the non-cooperation movement was the most important, impactful and a powerful movement, even all the Indians, all the important leaders, they were thinking that definitely this non-cooperation movement is a so strong movement and it has given the economical setback to the British administration, Uh, so very soon we will get the freedom. But this non-cooperation movement has slowed down in cities because Mahatma Gandhiji told the people to wear khadis but in the market khadi was more expensive than the Manchester clothes and the poor people couldn't afford the khadi though they wanted to purchase it. Next, as per the non cooperation movement, students, teachers, professors, they left the schools, colleges, universities but the parallel Indian education system was not available so again people, students, teachers they rejoined to their previous educational organizations. At the same time industrial workers, factory workers they left their jobs and they joined to the non-cooperation movement but unfortunately jobs were not available for these people so they rejoined to their previous work because to support and survive their families. But among all this movement non cooperation movement was a most powerful moment and everybody was hoping that very soon we will get the freedom but there was one incident took place and the gandhiji switched off this movement a peaceful procession was was carried out in Chavri Chevra, which was attacked by the policemen and these volunteers they burned the police station with an anger into that 22 policemen were died and the gandhiji thought that now, this non-cooperation movement is taking a violent turn. So, Gandhi decided to switch up, called up this non-cooperation movement. So, in today's part, we discussed about non-cooperation movement. Why the non-cooperation movement, what are the activities of non-cooperation movement, why the non-cooperation movement has slowed down in cities, and why non-cooperation movement has called off by Gandhi. Thank you. Students, in today's podcast part we are going to discuss about the chapter nationalism in India in this chapter we are going to discuss about the effect of first world war on India then we'll be going ahead with the Satyagraha movement led by Gandhi Gandhiji after that we are going to discuss about Raul Act, Act Khilapath movement, non-cooperation movement, Simon Commission, civil disobedience movement, Dandi March, Gandhi-Irvin Pact, Puna Pact, how the different people participated into the movement led by Gandhi and contemporary leaders, limitations of the movement and then sense of collective belonging. Now let's understand the effect of first world war on India. First world war which was carried out from 1914 till 1919 though India was not the directly part of the first world war but due to the colonial domination of British. India was indirectly involved into the war. Britishers have imposed lots of taxes. Even the taxes were doubled during the war. The market prices went up to the highest level during the war situation. At the same time, the villages were called as an soldier suppliers as the Britishers forced the Indian young generation or young people to join the British army. At the same time, The epidemic influenza which occurs, which affected near about 2-3 to million people, they became the victims of that, has given and created a severe mass agitation against the colonial dominations of the British. Gandhiji came to India, returned to India from January 1915. After that, Gandhiji carried out the first mass movement, mass agitation. That was Satyagraha movement. Satyagraha movement has the two basic principles truth and non-violence. Because Gandhiji believed that when we are fighting for the noble cause, then the violence is not required. To support the Satyagraha movement, Gandhiji visited in nineteen sixteen Champaran in Bihar where the indigo plantation workers wanted to join the Satyagraha. In nineteen seventeen, Gandhiji visited Kheda district of Gujarat where the farmers and the peasants they revolted against the high revenue imposed on them in 1918 Gandhiji visited Ahmedabad where the cotton mill workers joined satyagraha This led a mass agitation and a mass movement in entire part of the country against the britishers and their policies To control the satyagraha movement britishers passed one act which was called as an Raoul Act act the main motive of this act was to control the Satyagraha movement but this act was called as an unjust law because this law was passed into the imperial legislative council of Britishers in a very hurried manner without any proper policies or, pro- or protocol. Even while passing this act no any Indians were involved or consulted while passing this law and the third one that why this rawl Act Act was unjust because as per this act the British officers were given some enormous powers that they can arrest any person can be and can be imprisoned for two years without any trial so as after this act all the important leaders from the different parts of the country those who joined and supported the Satyagraha were picked up now the Britishers thought that it will control the Satyagraha movement but Again, after this act, different people belonged to the different aspects, factory workers, dock workers. They joined, voluntarily they participated into the Satyagraha movement. Gandhiji went on hartal at that time. One peaceful procession was carried out in Amritsar and General Dyer was the in charge of Amritsar. He imposed the martial law where the people were not allowed to gather together. But a peaceful procession was carried out and they came together at Jalyanwalabha. But people were unaware with this martial law and the rules and regulations. All these innocent people, women, children, all of them, they gathered at a place called Jalyanwalabha which has only one entrance and all these people gathered together. After that, the British officer, General Dyer came with his troop, and he, he has given order for open fire. Onto this poor innocent people, and to that hundreds of the poor people, unfortunately died. This incident was called as an Jallianwala Bagh massacre. Britishers thought that it will control the Satyagraha movement, but unfortunately the Satyagraha movement again widespread, and the people with an anger and agitation they joined the Satyagraha movement. Now the Gandhi thought. It is the time to mold the moment in a positive direction. So Gandhi switched over this moment and went ahead with the non-cooperation movement. In next part, we are going to discuss about non-cooperation movement. Thank you. Good morning, student. In today's podcast part, we are going to discuss about the chapter development. In this chapter, we are going to discuss what do you mean by development, what are the different developmental goals, what are the different developmental goals beside income, per capita income, then we are going to discuss what are the other developmental goals beside per capita income, after that we are going to discuss public facilities and then sustainable development. We always define, development means progress, development means enhancement, development means growth in all social, political, economic aspects of the life. There are three developmental goals. First, different people have a different developmental goals. Means each and every person in the society, their developmental goals are different one person's developmental goal can't be similar with others people living in one family students sitting in one class people doing the same jobs or occupations or a business their developmental goals are different second different people have a conflicting developmental goals means one person's developmental goal can be harmful for others for example Construction of a dam might be beneficial for rich people, business people but it will be harmful for the local people because they have to displace themselves from that area. And the third one, different people have a mixed developmental goals. Each and every person is the combination of varieties of developmental goals. Developmental goals can be social, economical aspects of life. Now. I just want to discuss with you that only economic development can't be the right criteria of development. People expect freedom, equality, safe working atmosphere, pollution free environment wherever they are working rather than in income. Now let's understand per capita income. Per capita income, which is also called average income, total population of the nation divided by the the total income of the nation comes with the per capita income but per per capita income is not only the criteria of development beside per capita income people expect the literacy rate healthcare facilities educational facilities job opportunities standard of living these are the other criterias are also equally important into the development at the same time one thing just i wanted to bring into the note is that money in the pocket cannot buy all the goods into the market people expect the public facilities as well public facilities comes with the proper healthcare facilities pollution-free environment safe and hygienic working atmosphere pure water supply electricity these are other aspects of the development are also equally important in one's life and last sustainable development sustainable development means the development which should be carried out without damaging the environment without harming the ecological balance so in the chapter these are the important points which comes with development is mandatory development is must is important but at the same time we should take care of environment thank you Good morning children, I am Sachin Mane, today I am interacting with you on this podcast platform. Today, into this session, we will be discussing about a very important concept into the 10th standard board examination that is resources and development. Let's first understand what do you mean by resources, resources means everything which is available into the environment which can be used to satisfy the needs of the human beings at the same time, it will be technologically accessible, economically affordable and culturally acceptable are called as an resources. Now, let's move on to the types of resources or classification of resources. The resources can be classified in four ways. The classification of resources based on the origin, based on the exhaustibility, based on the origin and the resources can be classified based on the status of development. Now, first we'll discuss about the classification of the resources based on origin. Based on the origin, the resources can be classified in two ways biotic resources and abiotic resources. Now let's discuss about biotic resource biotic resource means the resources which are obtained from biosphere and have a life like human beings flora fauna fisheries livestock etc. And if you look at abiotic resources which are totally opposite to the biotic resources it means all the things which are categorized into the non living category non living things are called as an abiotic resources for example minerals metals rocks soil etc now let's move on to the next category of the resources the next classification of the resources based on exhaustibility based on exhaustibility the resources can be classified in again two ways renewable resources and non-renewable resources. Now what do you mean by renewable resources? Renewable resources means the resources which can be renewed, reproduced, regenerate, recycled are called as renewable resources. For example solar energy, wind energy, water, forest, wildlife are called as renewable resources. And non-renewable resources are totally opposite to the renewable resources, the resources which we get, which if you use it, it get exhausted into the nature, which cannot be reused, recycled, regained, reproduced after the use. These resources are, we know it very well, these resources are the fossil fuels, once it is get used, it cannot be recycled. Now let's move on to the third category of the resources now into this the resources can be classified based on ownership based on the ownership the resources can be classified in four ways individual resources community resources national resources and international resources now let's understand what do you mean by individual resources individual resources which are owned controlled and managed by privates privately or individuals for example plots houses, agricultural land ponds, water or pasture lands are the categorized into the individual resources next let's understand what do you mean by community resource community resource which can be accessible for all the people in a community actually in a public parks picnic spots, playgrounds there are various places where all people into the villages or in urban areas they they can access it, they can use it and they can lead their life. So these resources are called as an community resources. Now, let's understand what do you mean by national resources? Actually, technically whatever the resources comes within the limits of the nation are the parts of national resources. Roads, canals, railways, all public transports, industries, agriculture, land, forest, wildlife, mountains, plateaus, each and everything comes into the political boundaries of the nation, are calculated, are used, are known as a national resources. Beyond that, in oceanic part, into the coastal areas, from coastal region till the twelve nautical miles. 12 nautical, nautical miles means it is the measurement which is used to measure the distance of the sea level, sea distance. So these 12 nautical miles means approximately 19 km from the coastal areas can be used by that particular nation. So this is also named as national resource. Let's understand what do you mean by international resource. International resources means there are some international institutions which regulates some resources. The ocean, the oceanic resources beyond 200 nautical miles of the which are called as an exclusive economic zone belong to the open sea. No individual country can control, can exercise, can put a power over those areas. Where any country can access those resources beyond 200 nautical miles to obtain the marine wealth are called as an international resources. Now let's understand the classification of the resources based on the status of development. Based on this status of development, resources can be classified in four ways: potential resources, developed resources, stock, and reserves. Let's understand. What do you mean by potential resource? Potential resource means the resources which are found in a particular region, but still it has not been utilized. For example, west, in the western part of the India, in Rajasthan and a Gujarat, there is a enormous potential to obtain the wind and the solar energy, but still we have not utilized it. So it is the best example of potential resource. Let's understand developed resource resources which are surveyed and their quality and the quantity are already determined for utilization these developed resources are entirely depend on technology and the feasibility of the resources these developed resources are already developed people are using on the daily Mm. life now let's understand what do you mean by stock resources stock resources means there are certain resources we know there is a potential to satisfy the needs of the human beings but right now we don't have the proper technology to access it those resources are called as an stock we know that water is compound with the hydrogen and oxygen but we don't know that how the hydrogen can be used in a different way and the oxygen can be used in a different way to use the other things here so here the problem is with the technology we know the quality quantity potential of the resources but right now we don't have the proper technology and last the resources which are classified based on the status of development are called as an reserve resources these resources which we are using day to day life but unfortunately due to the overutilization of these resources these resources are getting depleted into the nature so it is the time to think properly positively about these resources to fulfill the needs of future requirements to these resources we have to kept it there are lots of flora fauna animals plants are about to extinct from the nature So we have to reserve these resources to fulfill the needs of growing populations for the future generations. So in today's session, we we have discussed about what do you mean by resources and what are the classifications of the resources. I hope that you understood it. Thank you and have a great day. children, I am Sachin Mane, your social science teacher. I welcome you all into the second session of podcast. In today's session, we are going to discuss about the definition of manufacturing industries, why do we need manufacturing industries, and the classification of manufacturing industries. Now, let's understand what do you mean by manufacturing industries. If you look at sugar from sugar cane, clothes from cotton, paper from wood, iron from iron ore. In all these process, the production of the goods in the large quantities after processing from the raw material to more valuable product is called as an manufacturing. Now let's discuss about the need of manufacturing industries. Why this manufacturing industries required for an economy? It is necessary to understand that for economic strength of a country is measured from the development of manufacturing industries it is the backbone of our economy next manufacturing industries reduces the dependence of people or the employment on agriculture sector at the same time manufacturing industries create generate maximum job opportunities for the people manufacturing industry is not only focused on giving employment to the people but at the same time it exports the manufactured goods to the various places not only to the internal demands but at the same time for export purpose with this export manufacturing industries can bring the foreign exchange for the nation as well manufacturing manufacturing industries plays an vital role in eradicating poverty at the same time unemployment each and every country's development progress enhancement is entirely depend on the industries and the industrial development so while seeing all these things we can understand that manufacturing industries are very important for the development of the nation and its plays it plays a very vital role into the economy if we go ahead with the classification of the industries we can understand that the industries can be classified in various ways now The classification of the industries based on the raw material. The industries can be classified in two ways agro based industries and mineral based industries based on the raw material. If we classify the industries based on the role which was played by the industries, the industries can be classified again in two ways basic industries and another is consumer industries. If you look at the capital investment by the industries, the industries can be classified again in two categories, small scale industries and larger scale industries. If you classify the industries based on the ownership, we know it very well, the industries can be classified in four ways, public sector, private sector, joint sector and cooperative sector. At last, the industries can be classified based on the bulk and the weight of the raw material as well so based on that the industries can be classified again in two parts heavy industries and light industries now let's discuss in detail on the basis of raw material how the industries can be classified agro-based industries and mineral based industries now let's understand what do you mean by agro-based industries industries which requires the uh, agricultural produces as a raw material for example cotton jute, silk, textile, rubber, sugar, tea, coffee as a raw material these industries are called agro based industries whereas industries which requires the minerals as a raw material those industries are called mineral based industries for example iron ore, steel, cement, aluminium, machines other industries. If we look at the industries the role which is played by those industries. The industries can be classified in two ways basic industries and consumer industries now let's understand which industries are called basic industries industries which supply their products uh, as a raw material to the other industries are called as an basic industries for example iron and steel industries copper industries aluminum industries are the examples of it and the industries which produces the goods directly to the consumer directly sold it into the market those industries are called as an consumer industries for example sugar, toothpaste, paper, fans, electrical things, food items, lots of industries can be categorized into this. On the basis of capital investment the industries can be classified in two ways small scale industries and large scale industries. Now let's understand what do you mean by small scale industries if the investment is less than one crore in a industry then this industry can be called as an small scale industry these industries requires less number of people these industries for example gur industry or you can say uh, the industries which requires less number of people at the same time these are the small cottage industries large scale industries if the investment is more than one crore rupees these industries are known as an larger scale industries these industries requires the labors in the large quantity at the same time for example cotton textile industries sugar industries many large scale industries can be a larger scale in industries on the basis of ownership the industries can be classified in four ways public sector private sector joint sector and cooperative sector let's understand public sector industries which are owned controlled operated by government are called public sector industries for example bhel Sale. bhel means bharat heavy electrical limited and steel authority india limited if you look at the private industries industries which are owned controlled operated functions by private individuals or the group of people are called as an private industries tisco bajaj dabur reliance are the examples of it let's understand what do you mean by joint sector industries the industries which are jointly run by the state and the individuals or the group of people are called as a joint sector industries oil india limited is a jointly with the public as well as private sector now let's understand the industries based on the cooperative sector industries are owned and operated by the producers or the raw material suppliers workers or both you can say these people they bring out the resources they share the profit they contribute into the they equally into the industries those industries are called cooperative industries sugar industries in maharashtra coir industries in kerala are the best example of successful cooperative industries and the last one Based on the bulk and the weight of the raw material, the industries can be classified in two ways again, heavy industries and light industries. Now let's understand heavy industries. Heavy industries which requires heavy and a bulky raw material, at the same time the production is also heavy and bulky, for example iron and steel industry. And the light industries means the industries which requires raw material. And the finished products in a very light and a not heavy and a bulky those industries can be categorized into the light industries for example electrical industries watches industries or many kinds of a small industries can be categorized into these industries food industries biscuit industries comes into this light industries so my dear children in today's session we discussed about what do you mean by manufacturing why do we need manufacturing sector at the same time we discussed about the classification of manufacturing sector based on the raw material based on the role played by the industries based on the capital of investment based on the bulk of the raw material and based on the ownership so i hope that you understood this uh, part today thank you and have a great day.
1: Hello, myself Pratna Adur, and I am here to give you a basic outline of a broad topic, rather chapter, Nationalism in India. The concept of nationalism was developed amongst the people of India during the Indian independence movement against the colonial British rule. The chapter deals with the events that took place in the country from 1920s to free India from the shackles of foreign rule. And in this chapter, we have gone through many topics such as First World War and the effect it created on the Indian economy and political situations. The World War resulted in increasing defense expenditure, which was financed by war loans, increasing taxes, increasing custom duties and also income tax was introduced prices of essential commodities were increased which nearly doubled between 1913 to 1918 which was hard for common people there was forced recruitment of village people as to supply the soldiers in rural and which caused anger and the villages were named as soldier supplier which also This period had crop failure, influenza epidemic plague and which resulted in near about 12 to 13 million people's death due to famines and epidemic. Then we saw the idea of Satyagraha which was based on the two basic vows of Mahatma Gandhi, truth and non-violence. The philosophy of the Satyagraha ideology was if the cause was true, struggle was against injustice, then physical force was not necessary to fight oppressors. Thus, this Satyagraha movement was successful in Champaran, Bihar, Kheda, Gujarat, and Ahemdabad. It is followed by Rowlatt Act. Rowlatt Act had been hurriedly passed by Imperial Legislative Council, despite opposition, on 6th of April 1919. It gave government enormous power to repress political activists and allowed detention of political prisoners without trial for two years. On 10th April, the police in Amritsar fired on a peaceful procession, the non-violent Satyagraha, which was then turned violent, Then, therefore martial law was imposed and General Dyer took command which was followed by Jallianwala Bagh incident. On April 13, 1919, in famous Jallianwala Bagh incident took place. The people had gathered in this bag because to protest against governments, repressive measures, and to attend the annual Baisakhi Fair. General Dyer blocked the exit points and opened fire on crowd, killing hundreds. The object which he gave was to produce a moral effect and to create a, um, create in the minds of satyagrahis a feeling of terror and uh, fear. Khalifat Movement Khilafat Movement On the First World War, there was defeat in Ottoman Turkey which was ruled by the Ottoman Emperor and also the spiritual head of Islamic world, the Khalifa. To defend himself, the Khilafat Movement was or committee was formed in Bombay in March nineteen nineteen, which was leaded by the Ali brothers Muhammad Ali and Shakut Ali, which is then fo- followed by the non-cooperation movement. In a book written by Mahatma Gandhi, Hind Swaraj, he said that British rule was established in India because of the cooperation of Indians. If Indians refused to cooperate, British rule in India would collapse and this is the basic concept behind the non cooperation movement total refusal after this we were we saw about the movement in towns rebellion in the countryside which in which we saw participants participation by peasants baba ramchandra and the aurad kisan sabha participations by tribals the swaraj in plantation simon commission the salt march and the civil disobedience movement. At end, I will conclude by sharing a meaningful thought by our beloved father of nation, Mahatma Gandhi. You may never know what results come out of your actions, but if you do nothing, there will be no results. Thank you. Have a great day ahead. This is Pratna Adur, 10th Diamond.